The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hi, Chris. This is Gene Simmons from KISS. And I've just learned some terrible, terrible news. Did you know that you haven't paid your dues to the KISS Army in over 14 years? We've done some math. And apparently you owe me $87. That's U.S. currency. Don't try this Canadian crap, okay? So here's what I want you to do. You need to go to kissonline.com. Click on my cod piece. Your face will pop out of my crotch. Use your KISS credit card and you can pay me. Or you can come down to the studio with Wheeler right now at City FM and we can duke it out. Please keep in mind, this is a comedian. Don't ever punch a comedian. You can't handle it. It's not for real. Go ahead. Go to kidsonline.com. Boom. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pot of thunder and rock and roll and the very funny rock and roll comedian, Craig Gass, who does the wicked impersonation of Gene Simmons, is my guest today. Uh, he did that impersonation when I said that I was going to come see him uh, at the radio station after the Guns N' Roses concert in Winnipeg a few months ago. Uh, had too many pops, uh, road pops, too many cocktails, did not make it to the radio station. And that was Craig calling me as Gene Simmons to... Uh, admonish me for missing out but it was hilarious craig is hilarious it is a great gene simmons and wait till you hear how he fooled metallica's lars ulrich as gene and how how that what what that ended up doing for craig in his career craig also does a really good lars talk as jericho alumni of course a two-word impression of kirk hammett he does henry winkler as the fonz a christopher walken you'll know uh why that's his least favorite impression al pacino he does just about anybody he'll tell us how he learned to mimic voices which is pretty incredible since he grew up in a deaf family Seriously, his whole family is deaf except for Craig. Craig's also opened gigs for Metallica, gone to strip clubs with Gene Simmons, was a writer on Saturday Night Live. Uh, He was a regular in Howard Stern and was roommates with Eddie Van Halen. (laughs) Fantastic stories from Craig Gass. Get ready to laugh and be entertained by my bro, Craig. And uh, speaking of being entertained and ready to rock, all of you in Springfield, Missouri, get ready. Fozzie, Saturday, December 2nd, at the Toys for Tickets show at the Outland Ballroom. Just donate a toy worth $15 or more and get a free ticket for the show. Okay, Saturday, December 2nd, Toys for Tickets at the Outland Ballroom in Springfield, Missouri. 
And then Fozzie's headed back to Europe with Steel Panther in January. Dates start January 28th at the Olympia in Paris, France. And yes, we'll be doing the VIP meet and greets and pre-show mini concerts on all the dates. Uh, we had so much fun on this last tour, the Judas Rising Tour with Hardcore Superstar. Great guys. Uh, the VIPs were off the charts. We played Breaking the Law. We played Free Will Burning. We played Cold Gin. We played TNT. We played You Really Got Me. We played uh, so many great tunes. It was so much fun at the uh, at the VIPs. So go check that out. FozzyRock.com. Be a part of the Fozzie VIP house party and come rock with us in Steel Panther. Talk is Jericho. This is going to be great, man. It's funny. I had uh, Dana Carvey on uh, a couple months ago. He is a prince of a human being. And it was once again over the phone. He hooked, uh, Mil- Den- Dennis Miller hooked me up. So he didn't really know me, but dude, he got into it pretty quick for the reasons we just discussed and he's just throwing down like imitation imitation yeah. imitation it's like he, i was laughing the whole time he was so good he's a genius in it and just a likable human yeah being. just a really his stand-up guy. is so silly and so fun and he can go into what might be a divisive topic and do it so playfully that everybody's laughing nobody's and, and he does like he's like you he does um imitations that you would like he's pulled out a neil young and I was like, who does Neil Young? And he did a perfect Neil Young. I guess that him and Farley, uh, were, were, Neil Young was the guest. And uh, he goes, I guess Farley and him were like, let's make me this. Try and make Neil Young laugh. Like, he doesn't look like the funniest guy. Let's make him laugh. So I guess he was laughing the whole time. And finally, Neil Young went, that fat kid's funny as shit. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I heard a great Farley story from um, Artie Lang. Um, I went to do his show, and he had one of uh, Farley's brothers in to talk about the documentary they made on Chris. Yeah. And they started sharing Farley's stories. And Artie told the story I'd never heard before that he said that uh, Norm MacDonald was nice enough to invite him to uh, an SNL after party. It was the week that Farley was hosting. Farley was supposed to be sober. Right. And he clearly wasn't. And it was very disturbing to Norm. And Norm uh, kept watching him at the after show. It was kind party. of a disaster, wasn't it? His his hosting was a disaster too, wasn't it? The legend behind it is that they had a backup host in case he was so hammered wow. that he wasn't able to fill his uh, obligations. Do, yeah, his obligations, and, and do, they had somebody else rehearsing the sketches. Sheesh. And um, at the after party, he's he's off the rails. Norm is uh, really hurt by it, and Norm just keeps watching him, and he's heartbroken watching Farley behave the way he's behaving at the after party. And then they lose him. They don't know where he goes. And uh, Artie comes back over and says, uh, Hey, uh, Norm, I got some bad news. I uh, I just saw Farley uh, walk into the men's room with uh, Andy Dick. And I can only think of two reasons why any guy would go into a bathroom with Andy Dick. And Norm MacDonald goes, Oh, God, I hope he's high. <laughs> That's the greatest story. That's the one, uh, right? So that's uh, and that's a, a, a classic story, and you've probably heard a lot of stories like that because you've been on the scene for years and years in the comedy world. Craig Gass is here, and uh, I mean, you're one of the guys that I hear about constantly, and we've crossed paths quite a few times. Yeah, um, but Steel to, Panther. I've ever seen you at a Steel Panther Steel show, Panther, right? And I saw you at Rock on the Range. I was I was performing comedy at Rock on the Range, but we have a mutual friend who's one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life, Brent Fitz. Yes. Who keeps telling me you got to hook up with my buddy Chris Jericho, and 
Of course, I know who Chris Jericho is. I'd love to hook up with your buddy Chris <laughs> Jericho. And, and then we finally made it happen. And I just, I don't have a plan today. I just knew that as soon as I, as soon as you and I start talking, we're going to just not stop. So yes. it's really going to be up to you to just bail at I, some point. I think at one point, too, we might have been in Eddie Trunk's studio at one point. Do you do a Vince Neil imitation? No. that's okay, a, who's that? That is a comedian from, oh, it's a There's great a, comedian from Las Vegas. Uh, he lives at Billy Mira. That's who it was, because it's like this most random imitation of like Vince Neil. I Vince love Neil? random impressions. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I would always uh, thrive on doing random impressions. I'm embarrassed that I do an impression of Christopher Walken. That's because, like the standard, right? Because so many guys do impressions yeah. of Christopher Walken, so I'm, I'm embarrassed that I do this guy. And I try to make him sound crazy by saying weird jokes like, what kind of a bee makes milk? A booby. Pow! That's a great joke. And then I feel embarrassed about it because some people do it Vince Neil. But I am proud of my ability to do like a Sam Kinison or... Paul Stanley or Gene Simmons. And I was doing a Lars Ulrich before anybody was doing a Lars Ulrich when I opened for Metallica in 2001. And I did an impression of Lars that uh, afterwards his manager, Cliff Bernstein, came over and said, uh, Lars, he he really does a, a great impression of you. And Lars goes... Man, I don't know. I mean, he makes me sound like I'm on coke, huh? Yeah, and uh, and the problem is, Lars, you probably are on fucking coke. <laughs> yeah. It's something that's never been seen before. It's very special <laughs> to be here with you. If we could do a dueling Lars imitation, which would be really crazy. I don't know. I mean, I only did coke on and off for the last maybe 35, 40 years. I mean, and I can do a two-word impression of Kirk Hammond. I love doing, like, short impressions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two-word impression of, of Kirk Hammond. You got to pull your, your hair behind your ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> that's the whole, it's the dumbest impression ever. Well, that's your Kirk Hammond impression. I'm a metal fan. You're a metal You're fan. Big time. Where did it start for you? Uh, well, it's first of all before we before I tell you is that uh, I did Brewer's podcast. Who does as you know? I love Jim. He does a wicked Halford. So we did his podcast one time for about thirty minutes. He was Halford and I was Lars. Oh. <laughs> every time I go, I always every time I talk to Jim, I always have a plan on what I'm going to talk about when I come into his show, uh-huh. and it just goes off oh, the no, rails. No, yeah, even when I'm on the phone with him, he's so goddamn funny on yeah. the phone that I'll I'll make up a reason to get off the phone. I'll just go, all right, I, I got to take a shit, and I'll just hang up, uh, whatever. But yeah, he's like, ha, ha, ha. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how did I get into metal? I just uh, I was a big fan of music when I was a kid. Same story. My parents were into it. My dad was into it. So I started out being a huge Beatles freak. Your parents were metal fans? Well, not metal fans, music fans. Music fans, okay. So I started out as a big Beatles freak, and then when I went from uh, elementary school to junior high school, I realized that all the chicks were wearing Aussie shirts and Maiden shirts and that sort of thing. So if I ever wanted to talk to a girl wearing my homemade Beatles shirt in 1983 wasn't a cool thing. <laughs> a homemade Beatles shirt? Homemade Beatles shirt, yeah. Wow. So I had to switch over and get into and the first metal album I bought was Blizzard of Oz. And were you a fan, or did it scare you? No, because Ozzy uh, Blizzard of Oz is very. There's some very uh, Beatlesque type tunes on them. Like Goodbye to Romance is so begat by the Beatles. You can see right away that Ozzy's a big Beatles fan. Yeah. So it was an easier transition, you know. Yeah. How about for you? How did it start? Well, I and the reason I asked if you were scared is because I had a. This is really fruity. I had an air band. Mm. I, friends might get together. We'd have tennis rackets and we'd rock out. And we'd rock out to at the time. We'd rock out to uh, sticks and <laughs> something else. It was all arena rock stuff. 
And then one of my buddies said, uh, oh, I got this thing called, uh, it's a band called Motley Crue. Mm-hmm. This is Shout at the Devil. And I heard in the beginning and I went, these guys are into the devil? Like, it freaked me the f*** out. And then, within a week or two, he's like, oh, before this, there's an, uh, this band called Iron Maiden. They got an album called Number of the Beast, and that freaked me out. Right. And I didn't know what to make of it, but I started becoming a, a huge... It was Quiet Riot broke yes. that whole like scene wide open. And well, I think we're the same age. So I think we're both born in 1970, right? I was born in 1970, yeah. Right, exactly. So Quiet Riot was the first kind of mainstream metal band, which seems so weird right now, but it's true. Like, they were the first metal band to be number one on Billboard. That galvanized me. It galvanized my entire time. generation. And when I heard Bang Your Head, I remember hearing that... And that scream Yes! <laughs> and I, I just, what the hell is this? And I just, I became obsessed with Quiet Right. I was so, I feel bad for sharing. Rudy Sarzo is one of the nicest guy. guys on the planet. Yeah. And, I, and I, I regretted saying this later because I, I realized the words I was using was, wasn't very sad. I said I was so dumb about <laughs> Quiet Riot, and I and I, but I was a fan. I'm a right, huge fan sure. that I didn't know what came before them, mm-hmm. and I would get in fights with people about Quiet Riot's the biggest band in the world, <laughs> in the world. Yeah. And I'd have like kids who were older than me that wanted to beat the shit out of me and go, "Dude, Led Zeppelin." And I go, "Led Zeppelin doesn't compare to Quiet Riot." <laughs> I just didn't know anything right. be- beyond Quiet Riot. I just had my Metal Health album, and and that's number one. And your Circus magazine and with my the Quiet circus, Riot on the cover, yeah, yeah, and Hit Parader. Uh-huh. And and Quiet Riot's on the cover of everything, dude. Right, They're right. the biggest yeah. band in the world. And the problem with Quiet Riot was that Kevin Dubrow was fully aware that they were the first. Yes. And he didn't uh, hold back from letting everybody know about it. Yeah. So he opened the door, but everybody ran him over to get through the door. It's amazing to me, too, because you had Quiet Riot and Twisted Sister. They're very much mirror bands. Yeah. And both of them slogged it out in the clubs for years, one in L.A., one in New York. Yep. And they both struck huge on MTV huge for about a year and a half two years and then both of them fell huge basically at the same time well with quite right I don't know what it was that was missing about that next album they came out with Maybe it was because they did another Slade I cover. I think so. It was kind you know, of a mirror of, image of the first record. Yeah, and they, and they tried to copy what worked the first time. Yeah. But Twisted Sister, I remember specifically leader of the pack was like, "Wait, what?" Like yes. I didn't I didn't get that. I was like and I I felt like the whole country kind of and I and D Snyder to this day is a guy who I will always be grateful for because D helped me uh get into radio. I started with a guy named Bob Rivers, but then I started working with D Snyder. Mhm. Before I got on the Howard Stern show, and D, um, all like he asked me to help him on his radio show, and I was like, yeah, sure. And all I thought was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to hang out with D Snyder. <laughs> and then after the show, he'd go, uh, well, hey man, let, let's let's write some bits for tomorrow's show. And I go, yeah, yeah. Uh, how about we do? And I'd come up with some ideas, and he'd be like, all right, good, we're all set. And I go, all right, cool. Hey, um, can I ask you a question? What, what was it like, um, <laughs> when you toured with? Um, like, and he loved sharing stories. Yeah. And his stories, I love a good entertainment business story. And one of the things that was interesting about Twisted Sister is that Dee said that his bass player really struggled mm-hmm. with being famous because his bass player, I guess, was more of a biker guy, mm-hmm. uh, Mark the Animal Mendoza. And he would get shit from his buddies like, oh, you're a, you're a rock star. <laughs> Wearing makeup. Wearing makeup. And, yeah. and so I guess Mark would overcompensate. 
by uh, trying to be as blue collar as possible. And he would often get off stage in these arenas, put on his jeans and T-shirt, go back out and do loadout. He would grab all the equipment, start doing loadout (laughs) so that he could be more blue collar. And D said there was one night they're all on a bus. The tour manager's doing a head count and he goes, who are we missing? Who's missing? And they go, oh, Mark, where's Mark? And they, go, they get on the radio. Hey, anybody need to see Mark? Yeah, he's uh, he's uh, he's advancing one of the trucks to the next city. He's driving the truck <laughs> to the next venue. And he said there was one night he walked out of an arena uh, to go to his bus at 1 o'clock in the morning. He walks out. The door slams behind him. There's a 1,000 people outside the door. They all start screaming. And they're in between him and his tour bus. And he goes... Hey, and everybody's screaming, he's, he's one of the most famous guys on the planet right. at the moment. And he feels somebody behind him go, come on, get down, get down, and starts running him to the bus. And whoever's holding him down is punching people. Get the f*** out. Get away. Hey, stop punching. F*** you. And gets him on the bus. He turns around. It's Mark, his bass player. <laughs> he's, acting security. he's playing security to get him on the bus. I was, I'm fascinated with entertainment business stories. And that's a guy who um, would say himself, like, I, I was at the top of my game. And you cannot believe how far I dropped before sure. I was able to get the pieces back together again. Right, right, right. And um, but I'm obsessed with. I'm still obsessed with music, with metal, with with going to shows. And uh, but it started with those bands. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey, this is Chris Jericho inviting you to the first ever Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. Picture this. Rock and roll, wrestling, comedy, live podcasting, all on the open ocean from October 27th to the 31st, 2018 from Miami to Nassau. I'm bringing Hall of Fame wrestlers, some of the greatest rock and roll bands on the planet, and putting the first wrestling ring on a cruise ship ever. Don't be a stupid idiot. Make the list. Check us out at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. ¿Cómo suenan tus fiestas? A mí me suenan a la emoción de llevarte un LG Fortune gratis al cambiarte a Cricket Wireless. Y la alegría de tener planes desde $30 al mes. También puede sonar a piñata, campanitas, familia. En estas fiestas, regálate una gran sonrisa. Cricket Wireless, un motivo para sonreír. Requiere activación de servicio. Mínimo $30 por mes y traer tu número. Los cargos por el primer mes de servicio y la activación en tienda de hasta $25 se cobran al momento de venta. Aplican impuestos y restricciones. Pueden aplicar tarifas únicas. Visita una tienda para más detalles. Talk is Jericho. Let me ask you a question. You mentioned this earlier, and I have to ask you. You said you opened for Metallica in 2001? Yeah. Did they pull the Sinatra and had a, a comedian open for them? Or, Which or they, bands used to do all the time. Legend that um, Steve Martin used to open for the Doobie. Actually, there's a great story about Steve Martin at the, in L.A., wherever the UCLA uh, basketball arena is, that the Doobie Brothers did a show there to a half arena. They put a stage right in the middle where the basketball court yeah. would, would be, and they played to half the arena, and then the other half was just, there was no curtain, it was just empty. Mm-hmm. And they said, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to your opening act, comedian Steve Martin. And Steve walked out and faced the empty half and said, well, I expected there would be a lot more people here, but uh, here we go. And he did his entire show with his back to the crowd and saying, wow, you guys are a lot louder than I thought you would be. And then, and But in metal, it's like, how do you, it, it's, it's actually, 
it's a funnier story how I got the gig. Well, how did you get the gig? It was a prank phone call. I had a I did a prank phone call when I worked with Howard. We were in the building um, K Rock in New York, and one of the guys who used to be on in K Rock, his name's Woody. Now he's doing mornings in L.A. Woody was uh, doing afternoons in St. Louis, and he said, uh, "Hey man, when you come to St. Louis." You can hang. Just come on my show in the afternoon. You can just hang. Just call me when you get in town. So I called him. I said, can I come in on Friday? And he said, yeah, stay for the whole show. So I get in my car on Friday afternoon. I start driving to a station. And I put him on to see uh, what he's doing. He's got Lars Ulrich on the phone from his house in San Francisco. The backstory was that uh, Woody, my buddy, was shitting on the new Metallica record, St. Anger, all week long on the air and saying, uh, that's uh, new Metallica uh, from St. Anger. By the way, if you don't have the new album St. Anger. Don't get it. It sucks. Mm. And he's shitting on it. Lars hears about it and calls him <laughs> on the air. And Woody, my buddy, knows this is an exclusive, so I'm going to keep him on the phone. And the entire drive into the studio, Lars, uh, he's he's playing Lars without playing any music, without playing any commercials, and without a delay. Mm-hmm. And Lars is cursing like every fifth or sixth word is a curse word. And I get in the studio, he's still on the air, and I go, Dude, what? Uh, I go. Am I am I coming on? And he goes. I don't know how to get rid of him. I don't know how to, and, and and we made a plan on how to end the interview with Lars while Lars was talking to St. Louis. And then my buddy goes, "Hold on, he goes, sit in that chair, sit in that chair." <clears throat> hey, Lars. I I know that's that is cool. I I. That's true. I agree. That is awesome. Okay, let me just cut you off right there. Okay, for those just joining the broadcast, we have Lars Ulrich on the phone from his house in San Francisco. And Lars, you're not going to believe this, but we have a couple guests that are joining us in the studio, and he's pointing me at the microphone. I go, I don't And he goes, uh, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons are in studio right now, and they wanted to talk to you. And Lars goes, is that really Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons over there? Yeah, it is. Guys, say hello. Hey, Lars. This is Paul Stanley. And this is Gene Simmons from KISS. And I'm going to get right to the point, Lars. You know, a lot of people steal from KISS. You know this, and I know this. But I think on the new Metallica record, I think you've gone a little too far. And I'll give you a perfect example. (laughs) Name one song that you think is completely original on the new Metallica record. And Lars said, man, I mean... I think most of the songs are pretty original. <laughs> right, but if you had to name one song, give me a song. And Lars gave me a song title off the new album, and I said, that's a great song, Lars, but I'm going to be honest with you. I liked it a lot better the first time I heard it, when it was called Beth. And he goes, how do you hear Beth in the middle? That doesn't even make any sense. What are you talking about? And he started arguing with the fake Paul Stanley and a fake Gene Simmons. And then my buddy let it go on for a few minutes. And my buddy goes, uh, hey, Lars, uh, just want to interrupt you guys for one second. Um, we have a talk radio station next door that has a movie critic that has his own show every Friday afternoon where he gets real movie stars to come in and talk about new movies. And we want to bring that guest in. They actually have Christopher Walken in, and he wanted to say hi. Is that real? Christopher Walken? It is, Lars. I love Metallica because I love cocaine. I love cocaine. And so he started talking to Christopher Walken, and then I started interrupting his Phil and Sama for some reason and go, hey, Lars, check it out. And he thought it really was Phil and Sama. What was he thinking? And, and, and at one point, my buddy goes, uh, hey, uh, you're not going to believe this. Sam Kinison is here. And I go, hey, Lars, I don't know if you remember this, but um, you and I used to do drugs back in the day. And I left some coke at your house. And you never gave it back! Oh! Oh! Say it! Say it! 
<laughs> and Lars goes, didn't that guy die like 15 years ago? <laughs> yeah, it is. But it, And then finally, my buddy goes, hey, uh, Lars, it's, I got to let you off the hook. This is my buddy Craig Gass. He's a comedian. He works on the Howard Stern Show. And I said, Lars... I am sorry. That was not my idea. Mm-hmm. It was Woody's idea. And he goes, so are you going to be in St. Louis when we get there? And I said, no, I don't. I live in New York, so I'm not, I'm not going to be here, man. But uh, I wish I was. And he goes, well, next time you come to a Metallica show, I'd love to, love to hang out with you, man. And I said, I'd love to hang out with you, too, man. I love you, Lars. That's, that's awesome. And I thought that was cool until I got home in New York. And our producer, Gary Delabate, walked up to me. A week later and said, so uh, you're not going to believe this. I just got off the phone with a guy from Electro Records, and I guess one of the guys in Metallica is trying to get a hold of him. I don't know what he wants, but he's fucking crazy. And I got this phone number for a guy at Electro Records, and I called him up, and he said, I don't know who you are, but uh, Lars wanted me to call you, and um, uh, you're a comedian, right? Um, he's, um, we're doing a promotion for the St. Anger album. We're going to be doing a live broadcast called Late Night with Lars out of Denver, and uh Lars wants you to be his uh, co-host for it. We're going to syndicate it to 20 markets. And I, I guess you do voices, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, he wants you to be his co-host. Never met him before. Wow. And he arranged for me to fly to Denver, do this radio broadcast with him. And it was just me and Lars and his assistant at the time, Steve Wig. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, Steve, yeah. and we hung out in a studio for a couple hours. Then he invited me to come out with him. And, and, then, and then he gave me his laminate. And said, you know, go to this show. Let's hang out tomorrow, man. And I, the next night, I watched them perform in a stadium where the Broncos play. Wow. And Steve came out and got me and said, hey, Lars wants me to uh, bring you in to say hi. And I walked into a room with Lars and the three other members of Metallica sitting at a table in a locker room. <laughs> it was just the four guys of Metallica and their tour manager. And Lars goes, this is the guy who does all the impressions. Hey, man, do some impressions for my friends, huh? And I said, <laughs> all right. So I'm, I'm doing impressions for them. And uh, at one point, one of the guys asked me, and there's a background to this, which is that uh, my whole family is deaf. My entire wow. family is deaf. So I learned how to talk. I couldn't learn how to talk from my family. What do you mean like mother, father? And my sister. All deaf. Everyone's deaf. Yeah, my mom was born completely deaf from a birth defect. My dad was born with all of his hearing and then lost it when he was a kid. He got into an accident that popped out his eardrums, and he had to go to deaf schools for the rest of his life. Uh, and then my sister was born with my mom's genes, completely deaf, and mm. then I was born with my dad's genes with all my hearing. Wow. So I'm the only one my family can hear. And I couldn't learn how to talk. Because they couldn't, they have... They, they never talk. talked. Yeah, they just, they signed. It was... Oh, wow. I learned how to talk by copying all the voices I heard on TV. That's crazy. That's how I learned how to talk. So, wow. uh So I think it was Hetfield who said, uh, so how'd you learn how to, did you, do you just practice? Like, how do you... And I said... Well, it's kind of an interesting story, and Lars goes, dude, his whole family's retarded. They're all retarded. They don't even know how to talk. I was like, no, they're not retarded. They're deaf. Deaf, retarded, whatever. His whole family's just up, and that's how he learned how to talk. And, and, and you know, But it was this really cool thing. Like I, I, I couldn't believe I was in this room, which is, I think, the crazy thing about pursuing the thing that you're good at and that you think you can do and that even though I always wished I could be, like, have a talent to play an instrument so that I could be friends with guys like that. And I found a talent doing something else, but it still got me some admiration, oh, yeah. a mutual admiration from people 
who I will never be as good as. And, and, and probably much more than if you were in a band. Absolutely. Because you're doing something completely unique to them. Absolutely, because you realize the competitiveness right. that goes on in that industry where they're, they're not all fans of the same people you're mm. a fan of. They actually feel like, well, this guy kind of took something from me and this guy, you know, whatever. So you're able to still... As shallow as it is, you're able to just be friends with these people who you respect and admire. And that's the crazy thing about it. And Lars really is just, uh, they're all just decent people. I was having this conversation with somebody today about how people who are successful as mm-hmm. those guys are yeah. tend to be the the guys who want to uh, kind of level the playing field a little bit when they're talking to you. They don't want it to be about them because it's always about them. Yeah, I've always found, too, that the bigger the bigger the star, the cooler they are. Yeah. It's, it's the guys in the middle ground that always have some issues. The guys in the middle ground who yeah. think they should be more successful right. than they are, who are like, man, I'm better than that guy. Yeah. I'm better than that. And it's like, you know, those are the guys that are really tough to get along with. And um, I just remember at one show going to a concert where this guy, um, Steve, brought me backstage and brought me into this room behind the drum kit during a Metallica show. Actually, no, it was that night in Denver. Behind the stage? Behind the stage. The cockpit, they call it. Yeah, they have, it's like a bar with like Christmas lights and shit. And and nobody knows that there's a room back there behind the drum kit. And uh, Lars gets off his drum kit. And before he walks back to us, I notice this kid who's standing right by us. And he's clearly a a -a Make-A-Wish kid. Mm -hmm. And he's with a couple people. And Lars comes back. Hey, man, are you enjoying yourself? Hey, are you Timmy? Hey, Tim. I heard you like to play the drums. You want to come play drums with me? And he brings this kid out onto the drum kit and sits with him, sits behind him, and holds this kid's hands to start the next song. And he's lifting, and the kid <laughs> has 80,000 people cheering for him, That's and he's cool. playing drums for Metallica. I remember telling Steve a few weeks later, dude, that moment where... Um, we never talked about this, but you guys did a really cool thing. Is Was that a Make-A-Wish kid? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? That actually, that was kind of weird. Like, it started out as, like, a natural thing. Like, all ours would do that every night. We we actually started doing that on the tour where we, we always have Make-A-Wish local chapters come out, and they do Make-A-Wish meet and greets. Mm-hmm. And then Lars started kind of taking one of the kids out to play drums every night. But then the word got out to other cities that we were going to. And then it became this weird thing where people would come backstage for the Make-A-Wish and they'd go, hey, I want my kid to be the one that you take. And then it, it started becoming like a competition. Oh, right, right, Who's right, going to be right, the right, one yeah, that's yeah. going to get to go out and play yeah. drums? And then it's what started out as an honestly sure. uh, well-intended thing became a competition. Yeah. And then uh, people knew about it. Hey, can I be the one that gets mm-hmm. selected tonight? And, and, uh, and it kind of turned into something else. But isn't it weird to do what you love and then get to meet people who know who sure, you are for, or for, fans for, for of yours? Different, for, like you said, for the different talent, for the different vocation, the different skills. Has it ever bummed you out? You ever met somebody you're like, ah, like. There's been a couple, but I find most of the time, if that's the case, it's just not the right circumstance. Because you know how it is. Sometimes you're maybe too busy or maybe you're not in the right mindset or the right mood. I haven't had any. Any that I thought of where I was like, that guy was a real jerk. I mean, I'm sure there is if I could really think about it. But has that happened to you before? No. The only time it – sometimes I'll push too hard and I'll fuck it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I did a show in Toronto. I did a show at the Panasonic Theater in Toronto, and it was this big room. I was doing two shows at the Panasonic Theater. And uh, 
I, I honest to God, was not, I really was not scheming. I, I wanted this guy named Ray Daniels to come to my show. He is the manager of, of Rush. Rush. Yeah. And I, I know Ray. And I said, uh, and I just know that he would appreciate it. I talk about Kiss for like 20, 30 minutes every night on stage. I'm yeah. working on this comedy piece called... I think Gene Simmons is going to kill me. That's the name of the piece. <laughs> and I wanted Ray Daniels has managed Rush since their since inception, the yeah. since the start. And Rush and Kiss toured together on and off for the first 10 years of their careers. They would flip flop as headliners. They toured together a lot in those first five, yeah, 10 first years. Five years yep. So I knew that Ray would appreciate my material. And so I contacted somebody and said, can you get me a number for this company called SRO Management? That's Ray Daniels Management Company. And they said, yeah, yeah. And they got me the number. I'm like, all right, I'm going to call Ray. And, and then it dawns on me, like, Ray doesn't know who the fuck I am. Why am I calling? <laughs> Why did I think I could just call and go, Ray, <laughs> <Right. laughs> my name's Craig Gass. You never met me before, but I'm a stand-up comedian. And I, like, even, no, no, I'm not the guy from Tenacious D. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, like, <laughs> even, even, like, am I going to, like, call him and give him my TV credits and go, I do voices on Family <laughs> know, Guy? Right? Yeah, and, yeah. Like, and I thought, all right, I'll just, you know what? Maybe he'll have a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. So I called, I prank called his office. <laughs> And someone picked up the phone. Hello, SRO management. Hi, this is Gene Simmons from KISS. I need to speak with Ray Daniels, please. And the woman actually said, oh, hold on, Gene. Hi, Ray Daniels office. Hi, this is Gene Simmons from KISS. I need to speak with Ray Daniels, please. And the woman who answered in Ray's office said, oh, uh, Gene, you know what? Um, Ray's actually out of town today, but um, if you want to give me your phone number, I'll have him call you back tomorrow. And I went, I'll tell you what, why don't you give me his cell phone number? And she hesitated and said, um, I just want to make sure that it's really you. And I said, okay, then ask me a question. And she said, what's that? You want to know if it's me, ask me a question. And she said, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll ask you a question. Who's the greatest rock band of all time? And she went, I'm guessing it's Kiss. That's right. And she went, all right, it's 416. And she gave me the number. And I went, holy shit. And, I, and then I called. And then I realized I'm listening to his outgoing voicemail. I was like, I don't even. And I, boop, Ray. Oh, oh man. I hope you have a good sense of humor. Um my name's Craig Gass. I just prank called your assistant, and she gave me your cell phone number. Uh, I'm a stand-up comedian. I work on a bunch of TV shows, and, and I never heard from Ray. I never heard from the – I don't even know if the assistant is still – but, yeah. So I – and I realized in hindsight, why did I Why did I push? Why did I push so hard? Why did right, I, right, right, right. Like, I should have waited for a moment – it was a little timing is everything. It was a little over the line <laughs> to do it that way, right? It's a li- have you ever been like overly eager to well, Yeah, yeah. I mean quite quite often that'll happen and I screw things up like that. But I mean I mean I think part of it too is because you're such a fan and you think if someone did that to me I'd probably think it was cool until they did do it to you, and then you'd be like, "This who does this happen?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you do know? well. You know what? It's weird because you have an occasional weird moment with somebody that makes you on guard for everybody else that sure, comes to sure, you. Sure, so you sure. have less and less of a sense of humor because you don't know. And plus, you kind of fooled them. It was kind of under the yeah. Uh, and it's like, well, what, what's kind your lied a bit? Yeah, you you know? lie. yeah that's <laughs> true. Lied. See, I'm even feeling terrible <laughs> even talking about it. But let me ask you this though: So you mentioned you've done the Gene Simmons impersonation. You're doing this bit. Why Gene Simmons wants to kill me? Yeah. What is the deal with with that? Why does he want? Does he want to kill you? Well, it started out as a joke mm-hmm. on the Howard Stern show. I would chime in as different celebrities saying awful shit, and it was just like a fun idea. Like we had this idea for. 
uh, like one celebrity I did was uh, Al Pacino had just had twins. Mm -hmm. And I said, wouldn't it be funny if we could get one of the babies to do the show? And that would be, it's a radio show. So it's like, so every so often we'd have this interview with Al Pacino's baby where you'd go, so you're Al Pacino's baby. What do you like to do for fun? Uh, what do I like to do for fun? I like to pee. You like to pee? I love to pee. My mother, uh, Beverly D'Angelo, whenever she changes my diapers, I give her a quick squirt right in the face. Hoo-ah. And she likes it. Because she's a whore. It was this dumb idea that we would like, all right, let's make this celebrity do this. Let's make this. We could do any. We could. We can bastardize anything that we want to do with these celebrity voices. And I had this impression of Gene Simmons that wasn't funny until I started using it on the music guests that would come through mm -hmm. the studio. And I would constantly interrupt the music guests as Gene Simmons and try to sell them shitty Kiss products. Just shit I would make up off the top of my head. I would just come up with an idea that didn't make any sense. And I would fuck with rappers, with uh, whoever. Yeah. And and the weird thing was, the real Gene Simmons, and we weren't aware of it at the time, the real Gene Simmons actually started getting hate mail because of the shit that I was oh, saying wow. on the air. Okay. And then I started hearing from employees of Kiss who were like, hey, I got a story for you. Maybe you can use it. And, and it was always like kind of covert, like, you know, don't tell them that I told you this. And, right. and the stories were like, I can't. Like one guy called me up and said, I'm, I'm recording an album right now with this band. The guy who owns the studio wants to talk to you. Do you mind if I put him on the phone? I go, sure. He goes, dude, I'm, I'm a big fan of all your impressions, especially your Gene Simmons, because Gene was the first guy to ever try to um, me out of money in, in my <laughs> career. And uh, it, was a, it was a funny thing. Gene came in here a few years ago producing a band. And um, at the last minute, Gene tried to switch into my largest recording facility for the same amount of money. Mm -hmm. and, and when he showed up, he said, did you get my message? I want to use Studio A. And I said, I did. Um, I don't know if you got my message, but uh, someone is recording in that, album, in that studio. And I asked them if they would switch, and they said no. So um, they, they're not willing to switch. And Gene said, do they know that Gene Simmons from Kiss is here? And he said... <laughs> You know what? If you want to go ask them, you can. I'm not going to ask them again. He goes, okay, where's Studio A? And he goes, it's all the way down the hall. It's the last door on the right. So Gene Simmons goes walking down the hall, opens up the door to Studio A, looks inside, and sees the Wu-Tang Clan recording an album, <laughs> and then slowly closes the door, comes back up to the front and goes... <clears throat> Right, where's Studio B? He never even opened his mouth <laughs> to the people in, in the, in the Wu-Tang Clan. And the other story was this guy who said, you know, I've been working with Kiss on and off for 10 years, or I guess it was 15 years at the time. And he said, when we were on tour, at one point, Gene actually hooked up with Miss America while we were on tour, had sex, allegedly, mm -hmm. according mm -hmm. to this guy, with Miss America while we were on tour. The next night, Gene hooked up with a whore. A girl that was such a mess that even the guys in the road crew went, Jesus, did you see that girl? And the next night, they have a day off in a town that's so small that the band and the crew are staying in the same hotel. And the guy's telling me from his point of view, he said, I was in the bar of the hotel when I, I just happened to turn around right as Gene is walking to the lobby of the hotel. And he's dragging this enormous girl with him through the lobby, gets in the elevator, pushes the button to his floor looks at me through the lobby and goes, oh, yeah, bing, and then the door's closed. <laughs> and the next day at soundcheck, he, go, he sees him, and he goes, uh, Gene, Gene, did you, did you fuck that girl last night? And Gene goes, of course. And he goes, didn't you have sex with Miss America tonight? And he goes, Steve, Steve, listen to me, okay? 
you can't have filet mignon every night. <laughs> all right? Sometimes you got to go to McDonald's. And, say, what the f-? <laughs> and that's all I would get from people was, uh, hey, I got a story for you. Right. Uh, the Kiss Army would send me stuff. And then we got word that Gene Simmons was in the building. And mm-hmm. Gene showed up and confronted me live on the air about my impression of him. And, wow. um, and were you on the phone or were you in? I was in studio. And live. he showed up and he showed up and he confronted me live. And then it kind of felt like, all right, he seems to have a sense of humor. Because then he started selling us Kiss products. <laughs> and I would I would try to compete. Like, he tried to sell us a Kiss casket. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what else has never been done before in rock and roll? For $1 million, I will throw my guitar player, Ace Freely, into the casket. And you can spend eternity spooning with Kiss. <laughs> and Gene would say to me, like, you know, that's not a bad idea. We could market that. <laughs> like, all these dumb ideas he seemed to laugh at. And then he showed up to do a real interview with one request. I want to be there when Craig Gass is not around. And uh, that was the request. I don't mm. want to be there when, when the comedian's in there. And I showed up anyway, and I dressed up in full Gene Simmons makeup, and I wow. put on a Gene Simmons outfit, and I walked in the middle of his interview and said, I'm the real Gene Simmons, and you are an imposter, but I can prove it, because I got a bunch of cheap shit I want to sell you. Yeah. And I had a bag full of shit that I had written Kiss logos on. Like I had a New Kids on the Block lunchbox. I took out a Sharpie and wrote, Kiss, <laughs> that's 50 bucks. And he surprisingly had an amazing sense of humor about that. But is, is that hard for you to do? Like now you're just completely going up to one of your all-time heroes, heroes. I'm assuming, and just basically give him the finger. Well, it's, um, I'm, it's, it's the idea was hatched by me, and then the guys in the Stern Show said, you got to do it, you got to do it. And then there was a moment where I felt like, oh, my God. What am I doing? Like right. I, I cornered myself with like, wouldn't it be funny if I did this? And then actually doing it that morning is frightening. Mm-hmm. And uh, But he walked up after that segment and said, can I tell you something? You know what you just did took a lot of balls. You know that, right? And I said, you're not going to punch me, right? And he said, no, I admire that. Mm. And then he looked me up and down and went, you look stupid. And he walked out of the room. <laughs> and, but he has an amazing sense of humor about himself. Yeah, yeah he does. Thank God. But uh, but again, it's it's one of those weird things where, you know, I've been such a Kiss fan my whole life. And it's, it's, um, it's shocking to me that they have such a good sense of humor, especially Paul Stanley. Very self-effacing. Yeah, yeah especially Paul so. Stanley, yeah. who... I've been told many times Paul loves when anybody makes jokes about Gene. Right. And they and they will do the same to each other. They bust each other's balls and they're like an they're old, old married old Jewish couple. Married couple, yeah. Have you ever seen the video of them arguing? Yes, in ninety two. Dick Clark, the I, Dick Clark. It was like it was unedited. I don't, I don't go for that shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where they're talking about where he says, uh, I'm going to ask you some interview questions and we're going to edit this later. And then they're, and they're standing next to each other. At one point, Gene has to turn around and go, can, I, can we stop for one yeah. second? Why are you making look look like an asshole? Yeah, what yeah. are you doing? Like, yeah. That's what he says. I don't go for that shit. I don't go for that shit. And Paul's just like, continue. Yeah, keep going. Paul, Paul won't even look He's him in the eyes. Yeah, just keep going. Keep, keep going. going. Yeah, apparently, there's, keep there's, going. apparently there's Gene Simmons babies all across the country. Yeah. You know? <laughs> He's got he's got a thousand babies. Why would, why would you say that? <laughs> Everything that Gene says, Paul just shits on it. Like they're clearly having a little bit of a spat that day. Yeah, one of my favorite stories is a guy who taught me how to do the Gene Simmons impression. Is a guy named John Bianelli, who uh, works for Aerosmith. Um, John's been working for Aerosmith for over twenty years. John taught me how to do the Gene Simmons impression. And every time John and I talk to each other, I don't know if you have friends like this, but uh, every time I pick up the phone. 
we talk to each other is Gene Simmons. <laughs> yeah. Every time he picks up the phone, he hears, Hi, John, this is Gene Simmons from Kiss. And he goes, <laughs> What's up, Gene? Not much. Listen, I hope you don't mind, but I have Aerosmith's entire catalog available for forty nine ninety five at kissonline.com. And that's how we talk to each other. Well, a few years ago, I guess, what, early 2000s, Kiss and Aerosmith actually did a tour together. Yes. And John is working in Aerosmith's front office at Vindaloo Music. Phone rings. He picks up and he hears, Hi, John. This is Gene Simmons <laughs> from Kiss. And John goes, What's up, you cheap Jew bastard? And there's a long pause and he hears, I'm sorry. And there's another long pause and he goes, Craig? And he goes, It's not Craig Gass. This is Gene Simmons. <laughs> From Kiss. <laughs> Listen, I need you to get older, Stephen and Joe, and whatever. And he goes right into his question. Didn't even, wasn't even phased by it. The first time Gene came on the Howard Stern show to confront me about my impression, I was performing at Caroline's that night. Mm-hmm. And he got my phone number from somebody and he called. I still have them. The voice message? Do, do you do that? Is that save it? Yeah, no, I yeah, save it. Yeah, I, I save. Sometimes it just deletes without me knowing it. But I, I had actually got a call from Paul Stanley. And I saved it, and then it suddenly just disappeared. Really? So, yeah, I would like to. Keep, you still have it. Though. I only have room for one voicemail on my <laughs> on my outgoing voicemail because I've saved all these funny messages yeah. from people. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Gene left me a message, short message. Boop. Hi, Greg. This is Gene Simmons from, from Kiss. Kiss. He actually said from <laughs> Kiss on my answering machine. <laughs> like I'm going to confuse you with Gene Simmons from Pet Boys. <laughs> I want you to know that the Kiss Army loves you. I know you're performing at the at Caroline's. I know this is a big deal and I want you to know I support you. That's why I'm going to be in the front row. And he sat in the front row and he had one request. I want you to talk about me while you're on stage. <laughs> so I did. In the middle of my show, I started talking about Gene, and everyone's looking at Gene. Gene's looking at everybody, turning around, going, you know, that's me. He's talking about me. <laughs> and he sent a girl into my dressing room, Jade Barrymore, who was uh, Drew Barrymore's mom, comes in my dressing room. This woman comes in and says, hey, Gene wanted me to come in and tell you that he would like to uh, invite you out tonight to go to his trip club. And I said, oh, that's... And I, I looked at my friends, and I... And my friends are looking at me like, come on. And I, is it okay if I bring my friends? Yeah, whoever you want. Uh, Jeans can take care of it. So we go to the strip club. And I'm. it's weird because Gene is famous. And strippers are really reacting to him. They're all hanging. As soon as we walked in, they started playing Dr. Love. And we walked in the door. And I sat on the other end of a couch where he's getting covered in strippers. <laughs> and then at one point, he tried to get me involved in the conversation. He sees me looking pathetic on the other end of the couch, and he goes, hang on a second. Let me ask you a question. Do you like stand-up comedy? You do. Great. Because this gentleman right here, this powerful and attractive, attractive man, man. <laughs> is the guy who does the impression of me. Isn't that something? And the stripper looked at me and I went, what's going on? And she went, nothing. And I went, that's about right. Thank you. Thank you. Like, all right. That's hey, yeah, that's about normal for me. Thanks a lot. But uh, thank God the guy has a great sense of humor. Yeah. And uh, let me ask you this. Uh, once again, you're dropping little nuggets and then we're going off in other directions. But when you mentioned that when you were a kid and your parents didn't 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 talk. I was say they didn't speak English. They didn't talk. Yeah. Uh, so you're watching TV. Who are some of the TV shows or some of the voices that you learned right off the bat? 
It was everybody who I looked up to. It was Muhammad Ali. It was the Fonz. It was oh the Fonz. Yeah, I remember doing the Fonz's voice. I just uh, I was a weird kid who I could just. What's the Fonz sound like? Oh, the Fonz. Well, I mean, I, I can't. I can do him now yeah, as. Yeah. Uh, Hi, Chris. This is Henry. Listen, <laughs> yeah, yeah, super nice. I used to be really cool on TV, <laughs> but you're cool now. And like, yeah, he's Damn just, though, right? yeah. yeah, but he's like the super nice. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, but so I, you were learning like the big stars of the 70s, like you said, Ali and, and, and Fonz. And, yeah. And then in the 80s, I got into cocaine. <laughs> and then in the 80s, what would happen is people would go, oh, let's bring Craig over here. Craig, we'll give you some coke if you do some impressions for us. And that's when I got really good impressions because I loved cocaine. I just, I lost my mind. I mean, I got really good at impressions, but, but I almost killed myself. Yeah, and, yeah. And I had to, I had to make a change, which took a long time for me to do. You never became a, like a drug guy. No, you were never. No. So even listening to metal, you, did you drink? Were you like a big yeah, drinker? Yeah, drinking, yeah, absolutely. But, but ne- even being in, in wrestling for twenty five years, I never got into pills or. or any type of hard drugs it just never never came to my my way. It was never uh, even a consideration. Like you never wanted to try yeah, smoking. Never, yeah, never really. Just for whatever reason, just I just I'll just have a drink instead. Did, were your friends partying when you were growing up? Like when you listen to metal and going to concerts? It's, it's funny because when I grew up was the eighties and it was literally I remember say no to drugs. Yeah, right? and that was like everyone really did say no to drugs. Then I moved to Calgary to start training for wrestling in nineteen ninety. I came back like six months later. Everyone was on drugs. Wow. So they all waited until after high school and they just went, okay, the 80s are done. Let's say yes to drugs now. And wow. So they did. So that See, I know it. there's a friend of mine that I grew up with that we used to ride bikes together all the time. And then he moved and we reconnected recently. And I tell him all the time, like, you left right when shit got weird. Right, got bad, yeah. There's a moment where we become like, oh, drugs are bad. You you know, and and then all of a sudden it just like slowly starts seeping through all your friends well, plus and- when you're like if you're on the road like as a comedian or as a musician or as a wrestler or anything like that it, there's, there's a lot of reasons why you would want to do it or why you why you would could do it very yeah. easily well i was i always loved it so once i started traveling it just made everything really complicated mm-hmm. and it was like you know until it just i i just couldn't Say no is like I, I just realized at one point like I don't think I've just spent a night away from a bar here for like eight months, mm. and then uh, and it would just go on and on and on. I had a heart attack, and then the heart attack was like okay, mm. now there's your warning. <laughs> yeah, there's right? your warning. Your body is not going to put up with this. And in the first, the, the heart attack happened, and then I got scared straight for a year, and then I ended up in a relationship with a girl who was who was really bad for me mm-hmm. and uh she would beg me to do coke with her knowing that i had a heart attack from it yikes and yeah and uh and i just finally one night said get and and then i couldn't get back on on the two-year anniversary of my heart attack i said all right i, I got lucky a light turned on and i just realized this is stupid and i i haven't touched were you able to just stop cold turkey yeah and it really is like hitting the lottery what helped is that in the first year that i got clean uh, seven of my friends died. Seven? The, all comedians. Uh, my first roommate in New York was a guy named Mitch Hedberg. Do you know oh, Mitch he's Hedberg? hilarious. Mitch Hedberg was Great the first comedian. one. Yeah, amazing. He, he, he was a, a, a heroin overdose, right? Yeah, heroin overdose. His, um, he loved, loved excess. And he loved, like, he loved all the same music we love. Mm. And he loved the excess part of it. He loved the decadence. And for people who might not know, he was, he was great, like a one-liner yeah, type of comedian. Like, or like you said, you know, they asked me if I wanted a receipt for a donut. <laughs> I do not need a receipt for a donut. I will not be returning the donut. <laughs> One of my favorites is uh, he had this thing 
that he actually changed one night. I don't know if he ever made the change on an album, but he said, uh, I was in a sports bar, and this guy said, what's the score? I said, man, I don't know. What's the game? And he pushed me. So I shoved him, and then I ran. But then he chased me, and he chased me out on the street. He turned me around. He was wearing a bandana, a baseball cap backwards, an earring and a nose ring, and he had a goatee on. He said, you got a lot of nerve. And I said, you got a lot of cranial accessories. <laughs> and one night he got this explosion of laughter, and he said, oh, you guys got that joke. That's because you're a smart crowd. Last night I was in front of a stupid crowd, and I had to say, you got a lot of shit on your head. <laughs> like, but Mitch was the first one to leave yeah, and then over the course of the next 12 months six other comedian friends of mine all died from it was four drug overdoses and three drinking and driving car accidents like local guys or were they national guys were they stars um like, no mitch was the biggest name yeah, yeah. um another guy was this guy brian corgan who i actually grew up with that's um, crazy though so many within the course of 12 months yeah well and then they continue to yeah you know and uh i mean it's it's all those things you hear when you're a kid like you'll you'll end up in jail you'll die and then you start drinking a little bit like I don't, nobody's going to jail nobody's mm-hmm. dying you keep going you keep going and then every once in a while like oh shit did you hear about so-and-so yeah well didn't affect me. I and mean, then you keep going, you keep going, and then you start realizing <laughs> that actually does happen. Well, let me ask you about this. So if you're talking about like even like wrestlers in the 80s and early 90s, like I had the same thing. Probably I think about maybe 30 guys that I knew over the years have died. Wow. And I think in rock and roll, you had a lot of excess where guys were dying. You know, early 90s guys. But it's cleaned up a lot in wrestling, and it's cleaned up a lot in music where it's not as crazy. Is it like that in comedy too? As far as the yeah, I the mean, party favors. Yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, there's some people that are trying to make it make a comeback with it, but uh, we all have the benefit now of having seen documentation of what happens to all those people. And it doesn't look pretty mm-hmm. when you you go, oh, that's what that guy looks like now. Right. And he's still, I think Sam Kinison felt like he was cursed. And he said he was cursed because everyone expected him to party. Mm-hmm. He had a joke about like, he goes, I know when you guys go to parties, you know, people go, oh man, we're doing coke. Well, here, let's do a little bit, a little bit of line here. And like, and then, but when I show up, it's like, oh Jesus, it's Sam. Let's, here's your line right here. And mm-hmm. there's rocks that you can put in your. <laughs> driveway but Sam uh, like a lot of rock stars felt trapped by their personality mm-hmm. because they, they build themselves and they feel like well I have to do this mm-hmm. and there's some bands that I was really a huge fan of who you see now some guys who feel like they still have to be that lifestyle and it's like man it, it's you know no one is pulling them aside to go and this you know so, sure yeah or even to laugh at yourself. Like, I, I was always bummed out by Jeannie Lane hating himself at, in interviews and saying, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm the cherry pie guy, yeah, 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 sorry. Yeah. And he really took it hard on himself. I think that led to a lot of his depression with drinking. And um, I saw him a couple months before he died. He was trying to get help, and and he just couldn't put the brakes on. He couldn't. I just felt like a sense of humor about all that shit. Mm-hmm. Instead of being like, I'm sorry, I'm the cherry pie guy. Just but but, 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 but the things. What's wrong with cherry pie? It's a it, it, okay, it was it, a hit. Is it a mindless song? Well, aren't most rock and roll yeah. songs? It's it's hooky. It's catchy. Yeah, it's fun. It was fun. Great it's, video. Yeah, but the next generation of music to come in yes. was like F- that man. Right. That's so stupid. We're not going to be that. 
And then they became like, you know, the like people wanted to joke about the 80s. And some guys, instead of laughing at themselves and going, yeah, well, that's what it was about. Some guys like Janie mm-hmm. took it so seriously that they couldn't get out from under themselves. Even Millie Vanilli did a great thing where they re- they recorded a they did a commercial where their tape gets stuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, and it if you hated Millie Vanilli for getting a Grammy, it made you kind of soften up. Like that is pretty funny. I mean, they're, they're laughing at themselves. Yeah. Well, the biggest problem with that was they were the first band to basically get busted. If that happened in 2016, no one would even bat an eye because it's just an everyday thing. It, it is an everyday thing. It really thing. is. But at that point, I no one had, nobody uses samples or nobody uses tape vocals. That's yeah. impossible. Yeah. Now, guess what, guys? 90% of the bands have some kind of sweetening going on in the background. Yeah, but there's people who struggle with who they think their public perception is, and they yeah. have to live up to it. And um, uh, But now, comedians, yeah, g- comedians, musicians, it's definitely not, it's not like a crazy party thing. I mean, there's, uh, there's still uh, sex, and mm-hmm. there's still people who, you know, uh, struggle with with that and uh but uh but the drug but well, drugs let me ask you this when you sent me when we first started texting about doing this you sent me this kind of like this resume if i've got this story this story this yeah, story yeah, yeah. and talk about a guy who who has had his problems with drugs and now is fairly fairly clean is eddie van halen oh yeah and you told me you lived at his house it was well it's who, not a funny story as much as it is an interesting story yeah i don't need yeah okay don't so it's to be funny right i was i was backstage at a concert in los angeles um I think it was a Scorpions Dockin show <laughs> at the Universal Amphitheater. And this guy who you and I both know, and he hates having his name involved in this, so I, I'll tell you afterwards off the air. But uh, a guy who we all know is uh, doing this really cool thing where he's like, uh, oh, let me introduce you to this guy. I'll introduce you to this guy. And then at one point he goes, oh, my God, dude, okay, come here. <clears throat> this guy I'm going to introduce you to, this guy lives with one of the biggest rock stars on the planet. But don't tell him I told you that. And I go, all right. And he walks up and he goes, hey, Maddie." Hey, this is my friend Craig Gass. I don't know if you listened to whatever I was doing at the time. You know, he's on this show and that show. And this guy, Maddie, turns around and goes, oh, my God. Dude, I I am your biggest fan. I said, really? And he <laughs> goes, dude, I listen to you all the time on the Howard Stern show. I, he started naming all these shows he had been to. And I said, oh, wow, that's cool. And we're talking. And um, we end up making plans to hang out and go bowling uh, the next week. And on the day that we're going bowling, I call him up and I said, uh, Hey, we're doing. Uh, we're gonna do nine o'clock at that uh, bowling alley next to Jerry's on Ventura. Is is that good for you? And he said, "Yes." Is it okay if I bring my friend Ed with me? Because I've been telling him about you, and and uh, he's he's dying to meet you. And I said, "Yeah, that's fine. I mean, you know, whatever." And he goes, "Okay," because he's got a kid. His kid's twelve. And I go, "That's bowling. Who gives a shit?" <laughs> so we get to the bowling alley, and I'm there with a couple buddies, including this mutual friend that we have. And then uh, Maddie shows up. And I say, hey, where's your, your buddy Ed? And he goes, oh, he's always late. He'll be here soon. <laughs> and we're waiting for a lane to open up because it's league night. And we're sitting at a table and I keep looking over at the entrance. And then at one point I look over and I go, holy shit. Look who just, look at three o'clock. Tell me who that is. Tell me, who, is that, look at three o'clock right now. And they all look over. And this guy, Maddie, stands up and goes, Ed, over here. And this guy walks over and he goes, hey, which one of you guys is a comedian? And I go, <laughs> I'm Craig. And he goes, hey. I'm Eddie Van Halen. And I go, yeah. And he goes, Wolfie. Wolfie, this is a guy. This is a guy. <laughs> and come to find out that Maddie is Eddie Van Halen's assistant. Maddie lives on Eddie's property in a guest house. 
And Maddie also <laughs> runs the 5150 Studios, which is also on the property. Yeah. And Maddie happens to be the biggest Howard Stern fan on the planet. And every day that I'm on the air with Howard, Maddie keeps running down the hill to say to to go to Ed's house and say, uh, hey, there's this guy on the Howard Stern show. He he does a Paul Stanley, like, who does a Paul Stanley impression? And then, like, a week later, like, oh, that same guy does a Sam Kinison impression. Dude, you got to hear the Sam. And he starts telling Eddie my whole life story, which Eddie is now repeating to me at the bowling alley. <laughs> and he's getting it kind of third hand. It's not all accurate. But one story that he tells me is a story that I told on the air. I've been broke my whole life mm-hmm. until I got on the Howard Stern show. And all I've ever wanted was an illegal cable box. That's all I've ever wanted. I want to uh, have a, a converter that could turn on all the everything. <laughs> right. And Eddie is telling me the story and he goes, he goes, dude, I heard you broke your life. He goes, so good. That's a goes, great Eddie Van Halen. He goes, me too. Me too. And I, and he goes, the thing is, I heard you, all you ever wanted was a legal cable box. He goes, that's crazy. Cause, uh, and he looks both ways and he goes, I got an illegal cable box too. And I go, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, the thing is, I'm fucking rich, but don't want to pay for cable. And I was like, what? Are you serious? And he goes, yeah, don't want to pay for cable. And I was like, <laughs> and, and we, over the course of the next year or year and a half or so, I started hanging out with this guy, Maddie, mm-hmm. and, uh, and every once in a while, it's at the house mm-hmm. or at the recording studio. Hey, just come over to the recording studio. And, and every once in a while, I'd see Eddie walking around. And then that relationship that I was in with that girl who wanted me to do coke with her, that happens. And... Uh, we have this really bad night one night where I, uh, I, we were at the NAM show and I, we were at some party at the NAM show. I left for a couple minutes to go pee. And when I came back, she was making out with some guy oh, wow. that I, I could still see like, and I, I just stood there like watching them make out like, you know, <laughs> she turned around and looked what? at me and I was like, Hey, what's up? She goes, Oh, Hey. And I, and I, I, I just, I didn't know how to react to that. I went out in the hallway and I called Maddie because Maddie knew I was struggling with this girl. And, and I said, dude, you're not going to believe this, man. I, I, I just, I just saw something and I'm telling him and he goes, hold on, hold on. He goes, Ed wants to talk to you. And I gets on the phone. He goes, dude, I told you she's a skank. And I go, yeah, I know. And I, I, I know, I know. And he goes, dude, and you're living with her. What do you live with her for? And I go, I got no place else to go. And he goes, pack up your shit. And moving with me. But I go, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, he goes, you can stay in the recording studio. Stay as long as you want. He goes, the only thing is, don't tell anybody, but the band's getting back together. So it's going to be noisy, you know, at night. And I went, so the only thing I have to worry about is the fact that Van Halen is going to be jamming in the next room. And he goes, well, I know you're working on your TV show. And I, because I was working on this. I like how he's constantly smoking. He's constantly smoking (laughs) every story. And I go, uh, all right, because I was working on this TV show called uh, Las Vegas, mm. and I said, uh, okay, uh, if that's cool, and then I hung up the phone, the girl comes back, and she goes, hey, I'm really drunk. I'm sorry. I didn't know what I was doing. And I go, you know what? You can suck everybody's dick in this room if you want, because I'm moving in with Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> and I got all my stuff. I moved into Eddie's house, and I lived there for about four months from January till about April of that year in 2004. Wow. And, uh, and then the band was getting back together with Sammy. And it was weird, because I was, at the time, working on this new TV show with um, uh, Alec Baldwin and uh, uh, James Kahn. And Alec Baldwin and I were partners on this we end up robbing the casino that James Kahn is running. So I'm spending all day long 
telling jokes to James Caan and, and Alec Baldwin every day. And then every night I go up and I would get in, I knock on the door cause Eddie would be in the next room and I go, Hey man, I just got home. Um, is it cool if I listen for a little bit? And he'd go, dude, I'm lonely. Come on in. And I'd, I'd sit in, I'd listen to him play guitar and then we would talk about relationships. He had just gotten out of a relationship with a girl, not Valerie. He was in another relationship right. with somebody. And then, um, I, I met the, the question that every guy always wants to know. I met a girl once while I was living there at a, at a Metallica show. Me and Maddie went to a Metallica show and I met this really nice girl. We exchanged phone numbers. She calls me after the concert and says, Hey, uh, do you want to hang out? And I said, yeah, I, she goes, where do you live? And I said, I'm in the Hollywood Hills. Do you want to come over? And she said, yeah, is that cool? And, and I said, uh, yeah. That, oh, I, you know what? I don't know. I, and I go, let me, let me find out. I don't know if this is okay. And she goes, you have a girlfriend. I go, no, no, I, no, I don't. I just, let, let me, I'm going to call you. Let me just, let me just find out what's going on. And I go, Ed, I met a girl uh, at the concert and she wants to come over. The girl is really cute. And he goes, dude, Get some pussy. And I go, all right, cool, cool. And I go, all right, uh, all right. So come up, uh, meet me at the bottom of the hill, and meet me at the Ralphs, and then I'll and I'll we'll have to get in my car and drive you up. You can't, we can't take your car. I said, okay. So I met her at the bottom of the hill, and then um, and then we drove up, and she goes, so what do you have to get permission for? And I go, it's um, I'm just in a in a weird, and I didn't know how to say. Oh, I live in yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. So I bring her up through the back. There's two entrances. I take her up through my entrance, and I get through the security gate. I still don't know how to say it. I open the door. She walks in. I'm I'm basically crashing in a living room yeah. uh, that's adjacent to the recording studio. And so we walk in, and <laughs> as soon as she walks in, she goes, wow, is your friend like the biggest Van Halen fan on the planet or what? And I go, uh, it's... Uh, kind of. <laughs> yeah. It's, do, you, do you hear the noise in the next room? That's Van Halen. This is uh, this is Eddie Van Halen's house, and uh, and I'm living here. He's letting me crash here for a while. And she goes, oh, okay. Okay, and I was like, yeah, so it's kind of weird. But, uh, and then, and yes, it happened immediately. Everything was just like there you go. instantaneous. But, uh, but he would, um, everything was cool. Eddie um, really uh, isolated himself from everybody else. So it was like this weird feeling of like, how did I end up here? Mm. Um, I remember one day one of his cancer guys came over. He was doing this alternative medicine. When he had cancer of the tongue. He had cancer of the yeah. tongue. He would have a guy come over and give him a, a drip. And um, and I remember one day I, I was I was laying on the couch and, and the door opened up and this guy walked in and I go, hey, I'm Craig. Um, you know, and then Eddie walked in behind him. I go, I'm I'm, Craig. I'm a I'm a comedian friend of of Maddie's. And Eddie goes, dude, what the fuck? You know, my friend. And I go. Oh, I didn't want to assume. And he goes, he goes, dude, you live in my f-ing house. And I go, yeah, but I didn't want to say, <laughs> hey, friends. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, man, dude, I f- love you. And I go, I love you too. And I, you know, I, was like, I don't know. I, all right, cool, cool. And but a really up thing happened a year later. I found out that my buddy Maddie was f-ing her the whole time. The girl you were with or Eddie's The girl, girl that I was with. Oh, wow. And the girl that, and then I found out they stayed together for like five or six years. They almost got married. Wow. My ex that I moved in because of. Oh. Yeah. Gotcha. The yeah. cocaine chick. Yeah. Wow. And uh, so they, they were together for a long time. And I found out that what would happen is when I would leave to go do comedy shows on the road, Maddie would hang out with her. And then I'd come back and he was like, 
dude, you got to get over this girl. Oh, it was, I see. It was crazy. Yikes. So by the time I found out about it, it was a year later, she texted me mm-hmm. to say, uh, hey, um, I want you to know that Maddie and I are in love. And just to give her the benefit of the doubt, I went, Maddie who? <laughs> like, I, like not, yeah. the, not my Maddie. Yeah. And she, you know, mm-hmm. hey, I just want you to know that he really loves you. He feels terrible. And I was like, wow, that I wasn't mad at her at all. I got over that relationship. But it was like, dude, you're. I, I wasn't even, honestly, I wasn't even mad at him. I kind of laughed about the whole thing. Cause it was like, how oh, can you man. pull that off? Yeah, yeah. You look at me in the eye yeah, yeah. every other week. I mean, even Eddie was like, I remember I had a moment of weakness in the middle of living at Eddie's house where um, I had a big show going on on Valentine's Day at the comedy store. And there was this thing where like I'd hang out at the house. Um, his brother, Alex started coming over and um, Alex seemed to be a real like uh the business guy right. for the band, he was uh, starting to Google production companies, trying to see which production company they wanted to work with, which lighting designers. He was always coming over to search and research guys that were going and merch guys. Um, people were sending them samples and stuff to check out. And uh, and whenever Alex came over, it was like we'd hang out and just tell stories. Nice. Alex is one of the greatest storytellers I've ever met, and that guy. I remember him telling me a story about how his best friend, when they were growing up. They would smoke pot and listen to the Rolling Stones and say, when we grow up, man, we're going to tour with the Rolling Stones. That was their big thing as kids. And then Van Halen hits, and they get offered two dates to open for the Rolling Stones. The first one's in New Orleans at the Superdome. And um, so they go to the Superdome, and he now has hired his best friend to be his drum tech. And they're walking around the French Quarter as the band that gets to open for the Rolling Stones. And they're feeling pretty high on themselves and uh and i guess there was a running joke they would do where they would walk up to a pole or a wall and go up and like and hit their hand on the wall and make it sound like they hit their head and do like a pratfall but his buddy who i guess was a little off walked up to a pole in the french quarter and smashed his face into the pole and and didn't get that that's what you do is you, you make the noise you don't actually hit the pole and blood shot straight out of his nose his eyes puffed up and he's essentially blind now uh, he has two massive black eyes and the next day at the show uh they're doing sound check on this massive stage in the superdome mick jagger shows up wants to meet the new band hello boys and they're all like mick how are you i'm eddie this is michael and and then alex walks over and says uh uh mick my name is alex i'm the drummer for van halen um, I want you to know my best friend and I, uh, we grew up listening to you <laughs> and, uh, we said someday we're going to go on tour with the Rolling Stones. So this is a dream come true. He works for me now. He's my drum tech. And he goes, Oh, where's he at? Oh, he's over here. So he walks over and he goes, he goes, Hey man, it's Mick Jagger. And his buddy stands up with his glasses on, reaching his hand out like, Hey, how you doing Mick? Where you at? Where you at? And he goes, I'm right here. And he goes, and he looks at him and he goes, this is this is your drum tech? And he goes, yeah, it's my drum tech. And he thought he was blind. Like, yeah. But, um, but the, the point of that story was that uh, it wasn't the Alex Van Halen stories, but that every day he would tell stories until I finally would get to the point where I go, all right, dude, 
it's eight o'clock. I got to run. I got to go to the right. comedy store, and I'm going to run out of here. And I would, uh, I'd run out to jump in my car, and then Eddie would follow me out, and he go, "Hey, let me come with you." And I go, "I'm, I'm going to an open mic, dude. I, I don't want to show up at an open mic with <laughs> Eddie Van Halen. It, it would just be really. Just can you do me a favor though? Can you please just make a make a note on Valentine's Day? I'm doing a special show at the comedy store. That I would love you to see that because I get to do a full hour. And he's like, "All right, we'll see you on Valentine's Day. I'll go, I'll go out." All right, cool. So. Um, Valentine's Day arrives, and I don't let anybody know that I had a moment of weakness the night before, and I uh, I replied to a text from my ex, and I spent the night with her, mm-hmm. and uh, and I want her to come to my show. No one's met her. She shows up in my dressing room at the comedy store. Eddie's there. Maddie's there. Everyone's there. And uh, no one knows who she is. And at midnight, it's going to be my birthday. So she's filming everybody wishing me birthday wishes. And then she goes to Eddie and says, Ed, do you mind if I get you on film saying hello to Craig for his birthday? And he goes, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. Start rolling. And she goes, "Uh, anything you want to wish for Craig for his birthday? And he said, yeah, for him to get as far away from that skank whore he's been with uh, as possible. And then she goes, what? And I go, oh, hey, let's keep filming. Skippy, you want something? Let's keep keep rolling over here. Skippy, like, I I didn't know how to get in the way of that. And she still has that, like, for the next couple of months, she's like, I'm not giving you that video. Because I know he was talking about me. And I was like, no, he was saying skank. The wars. He wasn't saying you. Yeah, he was saying just in general. Yeah, he wants me to be healthy and happy. He was, you know. And she, she's like, I'm not giving you the video. And that video exists somewhere in somewhere. her collection. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, but uh, do you, do you still talk to Eddie to this day? The last time I called him was I heard he was uh, sober and then he was healthy. So I decided to give him a call, and uh, they were on tour. He picked up the phone and he said, hello. And I go, Ed, who's this? It's Craig Gas. And he goes, Hey, man, what's going on? And I go. Now then, what are you doing? And he goes, sitting on the toilet, taking a shit. And I go, oh, you want me to call you back later? And he goes, no, what's going on? Talk to me. And I go, uh, I, um, you know what? I'll just, I'll call you later. And he goes, no, what's, talk to me. And I go, no, no, go, just take a shit. Call me later. And then I just, <laughs> the, and I men- go. the mental image. Yeah. Cause I have this thing where there's people on my phone that I just, uh, they're, they're people who I really respect and admire. But every time I come across a number, I go, I'm not calling that guy. Yeah. I just, I can't. Don't you feel nervous about yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I get super nervous about that. So this is going to be the first of what has to be at least 10 or 20 conversations that we have to have over the course of the next uh, couple years because yeah oh yeah yeah we have a lot in common here yeah. and uh yeah, exactly. i'm sorry that i, I talk too much during no this, it's but... great man. You're, you're you're a great guest because i don't have to I just sit here and just <laughs> drive drive just steer the wheel a bit but actually we, we do have to wind down i want to ask you uh who are uh and maybe if, if there's a few of them who's your most obscure impressions that you do i asked dana carvey the same question and that's when he came up with the neil young well dana uh had me do this tv show called first impressions Impressions oh, with yeah, him yeah. and Steve Carell, and uh, and they gave me a list of guys. They said, "Hey, um, you know, here's a list of guys. Can you learn some new voices?" And I go, "Yeah, sure." And I told Dana, I said, uh, "Do you mind if I just do a bunch of bad impressions? Because I think <laughs> bad impressions are hilarious." Like, and it always starts out with me being called out for sucking at something. Like, my friends will listen to me and they'll try to give me feedback, and they'll go, "That doesn't." Doesn't sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I'll get defensive and go, "Well, dude, it's not. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger after a bad car accident. That that Duh. that way, I can get away with. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger after a bad car accident. So, with that in mind, my most obscure impression is not Mark Wahlberg. It's something I call out of breath, Mark Wahlberg. All right. And this is Out of Breath Mark Wahlberg promoting this podcast. 
hey, buddy, I'll tell you right now, you better be listening to this podcast because if you don't listen to this, no one's going to get paid and you got to get paid if you're going to keep doing these podcasts. Come on, feel it, feel it, feel the vibration. All right, thank you. That was a terrible, <laughs> terrible, out of breath Mark Wahlberg. I thought it was pretty f- good. It's yeah. something I've never heard before. I, know, I went out with Mark Wahlberg in about 86 in Copenhagen. Do you mind if I plug something quickly here, Chris? If you missed any part of this podcast with Chris Jericho and Craig Gass, guess what? It's available for twenty nine ninety five at kissonline.com. Go to kissonline.com, click on my cod piece, boom, your face pops out, and then you can get a link to the podcast with Chris Jericho, okay? Great. Thank you. Go to kissonline.com. Thanks again to the hilarious Craig Gass. He's doing stand-up gigs next month, starting December 16th at the Celebrity Theater in Phoenix, Arizona. And the dates and ticket info are at getgas.com. That's getgass.com. Go see him if you have the chance. You will laugh your gas off. See what I did there? And also get your cabin book for the Chris Jericho Rock and Wrestling Rager at sea. They're going fast. We've got some real good stuff going on. And some decks are completely sold out already. It's cool for me to see. Not so cool for you if you don't have your cabin yet. But if you don't, don't despair. Spare $150 deposit holds your cabin at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. If you book by January 15th, you get a picture of me with the list. You can put your own name on the list. This is the real list, not one of the plastic fabrications. The actual list. You can get a picture with it. And if you're among the first 400 to book a cabin, you get to take part in a special Q&A with me. That's almost booked up as well. There's only a couple of spots left there. We set sail October 27th, 2018, and it's a huge lineup. I will be there, your host with the most, doing Fozzie shows doing a live words of jericho doing the q a's doing so much other stuff jim ross and jerry the king lawler are emceeing it mick foley ricky the dragon steamboat ray mysterio killing the town keeping it 100 with conan disco inferno and shane helms raven will be there beyond the darkness will be telling some scary tales with tim and dave ron funch is doing comedy jim brewer doing comedy and also playing with, with his great rock and roll band the loud and rowdy Busted Open will be joining this festivities. Dave LaGreca, uh, Larry Dallas, Fozzie's playing. Phil Campbell, the Bastard Sons. King, listen, if you guys are King fans, please do me a quick favor. King, uh, great band, great friends of ours and of Fozzie, got all their stuff stolen uh, just outside of, uh, of one of their houses last week. $75,000 uh, of gear stolen. Uh, go to GoFundMe.com and type in King. It's uh, basically King got their shit stolen is what they're talking about there. They're looking for $75,000, and that's what they lost. It's a brutal, brutal thing. These are working musicians, tour musicians, and you get all their gear sh- uh, stolen from their house. It's ridiculous. Uh, but you can donate to them, uh, GoFundMe page, and also see them on the uh, on the Rock and Wrestling Rager. The Dives will also be there featuring Evan Stanley, Dave Spivak Project featuring Spiwi, the uh, Darlings of Rock and Roll, the Cherry Bombs will be there, Shoot to Thrill, the world's best female ACDC cover band, Blizzard of Ozzy, the world's greatest Ozzy Osbourne uh, cover band, DDP will be there doing DDP yoga, and of course Ring of Honor will be holding the Sea of Honor tournament on the ship. The winner will get a future shot at the ROH World Championship. The Young Bucks, the villain Marty Skrull, the American Nightmare Cody, don't call him Rhodes, and Brandy Rhodes are already on the roster. Throw in the party Peacock, Dalton Castle, the Briscoe Brothers, all joining the cruise festivities. 
all will be leaving it all in the ring in the middle of the ocean next October. More Ring of Honor talent to be announced. So much to happen. Book your cabin out, ChrisJerichoCruise.com. And coming up this Friday, it's the hottest show in Netflix history. The gorgeous ladies of wrestling, Glow, will be here. And we got Chavo Guerrero, who is the trainer, a couple of the girls from the show, plenty of great stories talking about behind the scenes, about the popularity and rise of the Glow TV show. How did it come together? How do they make it work? It's gorgeous ladies of wrestling with Chavo. Travel Guerrero will be here this Friday. In the meantime, and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah boy. See you on Friday.